reading uh, Psalm 62 this morning. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Trust, Put no trust in, extor- in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Shannon Cahey. My wife, Kathy, and I are members here at Christ Community. Would you join me in prayer as we dig into Psalm 62 together this morning? Let's pray. Living God, we come to you with expectation. We come to your word with expectation. We know that you are speaking. We pray for open ears to hear. We pray for soft hearts to respond as you call us to respond as we look at this psalm together this morning. We pray that you would be exalted and glorified in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I hear the words of the psalmist David in Psalm 62, I experience both a resonance but also a dissonance. I experience a resonance in David's words in verse 3. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? There have certainly been times and situations and even seasons in life for me in which it felt like the resistance to living for Jesus has increased a bit. There have been times where it felt like there was outright attack, whether attack from the enemy of our souls or sometimes attack from flesh and blood people right around me. There have certainly been moments where it seems like circumstances are aligned against me living all in for Jesus. And maybe you've felt the same. But I also experience a dissonance. And the dissonance for me is around this. I long to be defined by what David lays out in the refrain of this psalm. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. I long to be defined by that. But there are far too many moments in my life in which I'm defined by something that falls far short of that. I think just recent weeks and months, the number of times when I've been anxious about circumstances that seem to be working against me. I think the many times I get worried that 
because I'm on the quote-unquote wrong side of whatever the cultural issue is, that, that doors will be closed, that somehow ministry opportunities will evaporate. I think about the moments when I'm tempted to be weary of how challenging it can be to live for Jesus in our world and the temptation to just wish things were a whole lot easier. Maybe you've experienced some of that as well. I want to be bold and tenacious for Jesus. But there are certainly days when I feel closer to battered and tired. How can we consistently live in and live out the truth of the refrain of Psalm 62? For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. A number of years ago, I read about Michael Plant in a Gordon McDonald book. Michael Plant was an expert sailor. One of the best in the world at, his, at, at, at that time. He had elite sailing skills. He had already sailed solo around the globe multiple times. Incredible sailor. In 1992, Plant decided that he was going to sail across the North Atlantic from New York to France. And he was going to do so in a brand new state-of-the-art sailboat called the Coyote. The Coyote had everything. All the newest tech gadgets, everything you would need, top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art sailboat. So Michael Plant planned this trip across the North Atlantic. He had this state-of-the-art sailboat. He had elite sailing skills. So even though that trip would be treacherous in some ways, certainly there would be stormy seas, there was nobody who had a doubt in their mind that Michael Plant was going to succeed. He set out on this trip, 11 days into his voyage, radio contact with Plant was lost. His friends and his family were not too concerned, though. They thought he's probably encountering stormy weather. He's preoccupied. As soon as he gets through the storm, he'll reestablish radio contact. Several more days of radio silence led to growing concerns and worries. So finally, they launched a search for Michael Plant. After several days of searching, they discovered his sailboat, the Coyote. But there was no Michael Plant. In fact, he was never found. One of the surprising elements of this tragedy is when they found the Coyote, it was floating upside down. Sailors will tell you that the sailboat is the most natural of all seafaring vessels. They'll tell you that a sailboat, even if it's pushed to its side, will always right itself. In fact, they'll tell you that if a sailboat, even if it's tipped all the way upside down, it will always right itself. Why? By ensuring that there is always more weight below the waterline than above the waterline in a sailboat. And because there's always more weight below the waterline, then it doesn't matter if it gets pushed to the side or tipped all the way over, it will always right itself. When the coyote was built, an 8,000-pound weight was bolted to the keel of the boat below the waterline. When the search team discovered the coyote, that 8,000-pound weight was gone. 
Somehow it had been separated from the keel. And as soon as that happened, as soon as there was not enough weight below the waterline, the coyote was in danger. As soon as the storm hit, because there was no, no weight, no substance below the waterline, then as soon as that ship went over, there was nothing to, to enable it to right itself. In fact, Michael Plant probably didn't even have time enough to send out an SOS signal when that happened. Because of the lack of substance, weight, below the waterline of the sailboat, disaster was imminent. Didn't matter that Michael Plant had elite sailing skills. Didn't matter that the coyote was state-of-the-art in every other way. Without that substance below the waterline, the coyote could not right itself. The reality is for us, friends, is there, there are times, there are situations, there can be seasons of life in which it feels like the storms are coming. And it feels like there's greater resistance to living for Jesus. Maybe outright attacks on us as we seek to follow Christ. The issue is, is there enough substance, weight, at the core of who we are, below the waterline of what we can see, so that we can withstand whatever storm comes. The reality also is this. Some who consider themselves followers of Jesus get shipwrecked. Sometimes those who consider themselves followers of Jesus compromise the clear teaching of Scripture in order to buy into what's more culturally acceptable, probably to try to... lessen some of that resistance or even attack on them. Sometimes believers give in to weariness and discouragement. And even if they don't take themselves completely out of the game, they become minimally effective for Jesus. They're just surviving. The issue again is this. Is there enough weight, substance, at the core of who we are, below the waterline of our life, so that no matter what storm comes, we can withstand that and continue to live for Jesus Christ. Throughout Psalm 62, one of the themes is this idea of substance. Weight. What's weighty? What's immovable? We see it in David's references to a rock, a fortress, How he will not be shaken. All those things are found in in the refrain. In verse 7, David refers to God as my glory. And in the original Hebrew language, that word glory literally means heavy. It means weighty. In contrast, David says, verse 9, that those who are not followers of God, you weigh them and, and there's nothing there. He says they're lighter than a breath. There is no substance. In Psalm 62, David's not boasting as if he's arrived. Psalm 62 is really David being vulnerable as he's in the midst of the struggles of real life. As David faces threats and attacks against him, he knows the real temptation that we all face to give in to fear, to to look for some way to, to release the pressure a bit upon us. David knows that's true not only of his life, but of those around him. 
And so David turns to what gives the true substance, the weight below the waterline that we need in the face of storms. So as we dig into Psalm 62, it will point us to how to look to what is the source of our true substance and then what it means for us as we find that true substance. First, keep looking to the source of true substance, God alone. In the first half of the psalm, David is honest about his struggle, verses 3 and 4, but that's sandwiched between David's returning to, but I know this is what's true, verses 1 and 2, and then again in verses 5 and 6. Why does David repeat this refrain? Beyond a poetic device, David knows he needs to keep looking to the source of what's needed in the face of challenges, storms. And he provides a model for us. It's this. Rehearse the reasons for confidence in God. Rehearse the reasons for confidence in God. You may have picked up on David's emphasis in the refrain. He says, for God alone my soul waits. Verse 2, he alone, or verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. Why is it that God alone, or God only, is the source of what we need for substance and therefore the reason for our confidence? David says, God alone saves us. Second half of verse 1, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. And that, that idea of salvation here has a sense of both rescue from and victory over. Rescue from and victory over. Salvation for David is not some abstract theological concept. Consider David's life. He's a shepherd boy in the fields. A lion attacks. For God alone is my salvation. He's still a young man on the front lines of the battle visiting his brother and now suddenly he's standing face to face with the the giant Goliath. For God alone is my salvation. He's anointed by God to be king but the the king who's still in power, Saul, for years trying to chase down David to take his life. For God alone is my salvation. David's finally in the position of king but there are constantly enemies from without and even enemies from within threatening his reign. For God alone is my salvation. David knows in very tangible ways his need for rescue from, for victory over. And he also is aware of the futility of trying to look to himself for those things or even looking to other people around him for those things. He knows he must look to God alone. God alone can rescue him from what he needs rescued from. God alone can give him victory when he needs victory. God has already saved David multiple times in very tangible ways. And so now in Whatever circumstances David is facing as he pens Psalm 62, he stands confident in God's salvation in that current situation. For us, maybe we don't stand face to face with a literal giant like Goliath. Or maybe we're not threatened by literal armies of soldiers trying to attack us. But we face 
far more significant threat. And that's our sin, our sinful rebellion against God, and what we justly, rightly deserve because of our sin. We face the enemy of our souls who is bent on nothing less than our very destruction. And in the face of these threats, when we realize the depth of the threat from our own sin and from this enemy of our soul, we know the need to be rescued from what we deserve for our sin. We know the need to to, to be able to stand victorious against this enemy. And we also know, if we're honest, that there's no way we could save ourselves. We can't turn any people around us to save us from this. We must look to God alone. We must look to the God who makes himself known to us in his son, Jesus Christ. We must look to the one about whom Peter, when he was preaching in, in, in Acts 4, he, he says of Jesus, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Christ alone is our salvation. Jesus, through his sinless life, through his sacrificial death on a cross, through his resurrection from the dead, does what is needed to rescue us from what we deserve for our sin. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, triumphs over sin and death and the enemies of our souls. He is victorious. And because when we turn in faith to Jesus Christ, We experience that salvation. We stand confident in God's salvation through Jesus Christ. We can also stand confident in God in whatever storm we're currently facing. God alone saves us. David also says that God alone makes us secure. In the refrain in verse 2 and then again in verse 6, he speaks of God as his rock. God is his fortress. And when David speaks of rocks, he doesn't have in mind this little piece of gravel. He has in mind these massive boulders that would have dotted the terrain where David lived. A fortress for David was this thick-walled, high-walled, impenetrable structure. These images of a rock and a fortress are what one writer called images of impervious solidity. I like that. Impervious solidity. Meaning they're immovable. They're unchanging. They're pictures of security. And even while David in verse 3 and 4 is honest about how he feels like he's a leaning wall and a tottering fence, he turns again and again back to God who alone provides him the impervious solidity, the security he needs. In our lives, friends, as we consider all that's going on in the world around us, maybe things going on in our life personally that are hard and unsettling 
And we need something that is of impervious solidity. God alone is our rock and our fortress. And God desires for us to know that true security in Him, security that comes only as we, by faith, trust and follow Jesus Christ. As I was reflecting on this psalm, one of the things that came to mind was how Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5-7, through you remember that as Jesus is wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 24 of Matthew, he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, so everyone who trusts him, listens, and follows him, does what he says, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. It was secure. And when we found our lives on Jesus Christ, when we in faith surrender fully to Jesus, when we look to Jesus for our security, then we are united to him by faith and we experience the amazing truths that are laid out in passages like Romans 8. Romans 8, and at the very end of Romans 8, Paul concludes by saying this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall any kind of storm separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on to say in verse 37, No. In all all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then these amazing truths For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, my friends, is true security. No matter what we encounter, no matter what threats come against us, no matter what attacks we're under, no matter what storm is before us, when our faith is in Jesus, we stand secure. There's a substance to our lives that enables us to stand confidently in Christ. Christ alone. We all face times and situations and seasons in which the resistance level to living out our faith seems to be ramped up and the attacks are there and hard circumstances come. We experience that in the culture around us. Beyond the culture around us, we sometimes feel under siege in our own life. Maybe there's a situation at work that's leaving us feeling just under siege. Maybe we're in a challenging season of parenting and it just feels like we're under siege. Maybe there's some relational difficulty going on in our life and it just feels like the storm is constantly there. But we have the substance to withstand when it starts to feel like we're that leaning wall or that tottering fence. And the substance to withstand comes from God alone. So we keep rehearsing why we have this confidence in God. And as we keep rehearsing it ourselves, we also keep reminding each other, encouraging each other to place our confidence in God alone. There's a shift in the psalm in verse 8. David goes from speaking about my salvation and my glory to verse 8, trust in him in all times. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. 
In the same way, let's keep encouraging each other, keep encouraging each other to rehearse the reasons for our confidence in God alone. We also must resist looking to empty sources for substance. Verse 10, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Now, why this verse and the flow of David's thought in Psalm 62? My guess is that very few of you are probably tempted to pursue financial gain through a blackmail scheme or some other form of extortion. Nor, nor are you probably thinking about a career in the criminal arts. So why, why this verse here? What David is addressing is the temptation that is before all of us to pursue what the world defines in terms of what will bring substance to our life and to go after what the world says will bring substance to our life, to do whatever it takes to get that thing, which in verse 10, David says, for example, riches. So think about the models that the world puts forth of people who matter, people who've arrived, people who are secure. And as you think about some of those models, if you're at all like me, there are moments where you, maybe like me, are tempted to think, if I just had more of that, or if I was accepted like that, Or if if I had a lifestyle like that. These definitions that the world says of what would bring substance to our life. But as we go down that path toward temptation, we start to pursue what the world says, oh yeah, this will give you substance. Then we compromise God's way, which is the equivalent of extortion or robbery in order to chase whatever that substance is. When Billy Graham was in his 20s, he had a growing ministry, but he was relatively unknown. He had a friend, a gentleman named Chuck Templeton. Chuck Templeton, like Billy Graham, was an evangelist. In fact, he was a very gifted communicator, had a lot of things going for him. If you set Billy Graham and Chuck Templeton side by side, there are many who would have said, Chuck Templeton is by far the the more gifted, skilled communicator and therefore probably has the potential for far greater impact with his ministry. When Billy Graham turned 30, he got a break. He was given an opportunity to do an evangelistic campaign in Los Angeles. So from this, there was the potential that Now he he could reach more people with the gospel. In the months leading up to the Los Angeles campaign, as he was preparing for that campaign, Billy Graham encountered a storm, a faith storm. Chuck Templeton was becoming increasingly convinced that the way to be successful in ministry, the way to increase his impact in ministry, was to rely less and less on the Bible. In fact, Chuck Templeton was starting to wonder if the Bible was really that trustworthy. 
And he figured that if he was going to grow his ministry, what he needed to do was rely less on the Bible and, and give instead the people what they wanted. Templeton tried to convince Billy Graham he needed to do the same thing. He would have conversations with Billy Graham in which he would say things like, Billy, your faith is 50 years out of date. Nobody believes the Bible is the inspired word of God like you do. Billy, your, your approach of just preaching from the Bible, that's not going to work. If you want to grow your ministry, you've got to stop doing that and start doing some other things. These conversations were happening. A faith storm for Billy Graham. And one day as Billy was wrestling with these things, he took a walk and he was praying and praying and praying and finally he said, Lord, there are many things about the Bible I don't understand, but I accept your word and I accept your promises by faith. I believe that what you have said in your word is true. I believe the gospel is true. And so I'm going to keep preaching your word. Despite Templeton's challenges, Graham remains convinced of the truth of the word of God and the truth of the gospel. It was a turning point in his life and ministry. He went on to do this Los Angeles evangelistic campaign. It was scheduled for three weeks. Three weeks it ended up being extended to eight weeks because so many people wanted to come to hear the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you know, from there, God used Billy Graham to have an impact around the world on untold numbers of people as he continued to preach the word of the God and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, Chuck Templeton abandoned God's word. He eventually abandoned his faith in Christ altogether. His life went on to be filled with pain and disappointment. Friends, there will always be those around us who are saying, no, 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 here's where you find substance in life. David in verses 9 and 10 says, those people, whatever their background, wherever they come from, high estate, low estate, if they're not, fought, if they're not looking to God alone, their weight is so light, it, the, the scales go up. They're lighter than a breath. There's no substance there. But in contrast, back to verse 7, David says, on God rests my salvation and my glory. Again, that word means my, the, the weightiness, the heaviness, of what brings weight to my life is found in God alone. He's saying, I matter. David's saying, I matter because God defines me. And friends, our lives matter because God through Jesus Christ defines us when we place our faith in him. So resist looking to empty sources. Put our confidence in God alone. And then finding true substance in God, here's what it does. It enables us to rest. The psalm is not about trying to find an escape from hard things in life. This psalm is about what it looks like to rest in God in the midst of the storms of life. That's what David is talking about when he says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. He's saying, God, I rest in you. I choose to rest in you. 
And where the psalm concludes gives us a picture of what this looks like. It shows us that we are to rest in God's ability and desire to deliver on his promises. Verse 11 Here's what David says using poetic language. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. He's saying, God, I know you are able, you have the power to do all that you said you would do. And not only that, I know that you are willing. You love me with a steadfast love, so you're willing to do all that you've promised to do. And friends, on this side of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that even more definitively. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul lays out in that incredible chapter the truth of the gospel and even more specifically the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that resurrection means for our lives and means for for the gospel of Jesus Christ, he lays that out and he's saying, because the resurrection is real, then we can know that we know that we know that God will do all that he's promised to do. That God, what God has launched through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he will bring to fruition. We can know that he'll do it. He's able. He loves us. The resurrection proves us, proves it. And he concludes that, that whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 58, by saying, Therefore, in light of all of this, in light of how the resurrection shows the loving and powerful God through Jesus has made all of this true, In light of all this, he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable. Live with substance. Always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Rest in God's ability and desire to deliver on his promises no matter what we face. Rest in that. And also, rest in God's ultimate validation when we live for him. Second half of verse 12. For you will render to a man according to his work. David's intent here is, is to encourage. It's not a threat of judgment. It's rather, as he's just talked about God's power and love, it's rather David saying, you know this is what God is like. And therefore, as you continue to live for him, in spite of what's going on around you, you can trust God will validate that. We can rest in God with the substance He gives below the waterline of our lives in the face of storms, in the face of pressure, when we're being told we're on the wrong side of history or whatever it is. We can continue to rest in the substance that God gives and keep living for Him, living for Him, living for Him, knowing that in the end, He is the one who says, this one's mine. And we'll be on the right side of God's history. So friends, you may be in a hard season right now. Maybe something going on in life, parenting. Maybe you just feel like you've been under attack for a while. But in God alone, through your faith in Jesus Christ, you have substance, weight below the waterline of your life to continue to stand in the midst of the storm for the glory of the Lord and to keep standing and keep standing and keep standing. God alone is our rock and our salvation. He is our fortress 
we shall not be shaken. Keep looking to him. Keep rehearsing your reasons for confidence in God. And let's keep encouraging one another to do the same. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we worship you and we look to you as our rock and our fortress, our salvation, our hope. And we pray that with whatever we're facing in these days, wherever we're tempted to pursue empty sources of substance, whatever is challenging us in these moments, we want to keep standing in you and you alone, knowing that you give us the substance below the waterline of our lives to live for you. It's for your glory. Amen.